I'm Colby White with D.C. White Farms in Vernon, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We've got another week rolling, and I've got another episode rolling for you of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, Texas has a new law on the books to address confusion in the labeling of meat. Plus, there looks to be more upside potential in the cotton market as we move through the growing season. We'll have those stories coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. From way too little to way too much. Here in the Texas High Plains, the rain just keeps coming. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. After ample rainfall in the month of May across various regions of Texas, the month of June is calling for even chances of above normal and below normal rainfall. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have more on the June forecast from the National Weather Service on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Texas has a new law on the books to address confusion in the labeling of meat. Texas Farm Bureau Associate Director of Government Affairs, Billy Howe. It will specifically set out that these companies have to make sure that their labels are clear that that product does not actually contain meat, that it is an alternative, that it's plant-based or what have you. And not only that, the legislation also addresses any future labeling of cell-cultured meat as well. Uh, it'll make sure that that's properly labeled. Howe says the bill was recently signed by Governor Abbott. Cotton prices have been stagnant over the past few months, but there is still some upside potential in the market. According to Texas A&M Cotton Marketing Specialist, Dr. John Robinson. For the December contract, there's enough uncertainty in the outcome of how tight it'll be ultimately that I expect an upside that could take us into the mid to upper 80s easily. I mean, we're not that far from it right now, you know, a limit move or two, which could happen, you know, if we just have the onset of dry weather or in other places of the country, the onset of flooding, you know, there are things that can happen that'll affect the production, whittle away at the potential production, tighten it up a little bit. And in the middle of the growing season, those kinds of things tend to attract speculative buying. It wouldn't take that much of that to get us up to 88 cents. If we do get the cotton market into the high 80s, Robinson says you should be a seller at those levels. The wool industry is still dealing with the effects of COVID-19. American Sheep Industry Association Executive Director Peter Orwig says it's been three years, 
But the pandemic is still disrupting the market. All the remote work, uh, people were not buying wool sport coats, wool suits, wool slacks. So we have a buildup of wool around the world, particularly in some of the coarser categories. There's just a ton of wool out there. The textile industry hasn't fully returned yet, so our market reflects that oversupply. Orwick says they're now focusing on export markets to try to move these big wool supplies. We typically export 60% of what we produce. So we've been very aggressive the last two years. We brought on new salesmen. They're working around the world trying to find additional markets. Uh, We've been to Uruguay. We've been working uh, like Egypt, for example. You know, traditionally, China has most of that first stage wool processing equipment. But we haven't been able to bring those buyers to the United States now for three years. We are planning on doing some reverse trade missions where we bring buyers. I know we have two countries already committed to join us. Peter Orwick, Executive Director of the American Sheep Industry Association. First, it was drought. Now, it's flooding. James Hunt tells us the rain keeps falling on the Texas High Plains. The past few weeks have been absolutely stunning when it comes to rain around the Texas High Plains as we've gone from devastating drought conditions to massive flooding in many areas. So what's behind all of the nearly daily outbursts? Mike Gittinger of the National Weather Service Amarillo office says we can credit El Nino, even though technically it's not yet fully developed. The onset of it coming is definitely a part of this. We hit historic warm water temperatures. It is not a weak event. It's a strong event trying to take hold. That provides additional moisture from the Pacific Ocean. Gittinger says our long rainy spell also relates to things that are occurring with jet streams. You get certain orientation of the jet stream where low pressure and high pressure areas are. And there's certain things that can develop that we call a block. And what that means is, is the jet quits shifting. And so we're in this pattern where these lows just keep redeveloping in the southwest U.S. So a little meteorology there, but for many area farmers, getting so much rain has become a big frustration, like in very soggy Deaf Smith County, where Rick Ackerman is the county extension agent. A lot of them are in a quandary right now, obviously, because it's too wet to plant. And what is planted, some of it got washed out because we've had so much moisture here in such a short period of time. So they're trying to, I guess, reassess their options right now. Ackerman says farmers who have lost out on growing cotton this season might switch to something like sorghum or short-season corn, or there's another alternative. There is a possibility that they won't plant anything and wait till maybe put in some wheat in the fall. I've had producers thinking about that already, so I don't know. We'll see. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Well, May has brought a lot of rainfall to just about every corner of Texas. So what does the month of June have in store for us? Tom Nicoletti checks in with a meteorologist for a forecast. Our guest today is Tom Bradshaw, National Weather Service meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service in Fort Worth. And Tom, certainly June will be a warmer, hotter month for the state of Texas. But let's quickly recap uh, the month of May, where we saw uh, ample rainfall in various regions to help lessen the severity of the drought. It's good to be with you again, Tom. And yeah, we did get some good news uh, during the month of May. We had fairly plentiful rainfall across a really wide swath of the state of Texas, from the Panhandle and uh, Southern Plains 
across the central and southeastern parts of the state of Texas, and that actually mitigated some of the drought uh, in impacts that we've had across the state compared with uh, previous months. We're actually looking pretty good in the east now, and uh, parts of the I-35 corridor saw a little bit of relief, and even parts of the Panhandle and uh, the, the western high plains got a little bit of relief. But there's, it's still quite dry out there, unfortunately. So now we're into June. Uh, what do the uh, precipitation chances look like and uh, the temperature outlook? Well, obviously, June is uh, we start to see a lot more summer-like characteristics uh, across the Lone Star State. We'll see a lot of temperatures uh, rising well into the 90s, maybe even a few hundreds by the end of the month across parts of uh, especially South Texas. On the rainfall side of the equation, it looks like we're looking at even chances of above and below normal rainfall across the state. So normally that means that we can expect several inches of rainfall across most of the state of Texas. We certainly need it across the western high plains and the panhandle region of the state uh, more than anywhere else. So we're going to cross our fingers that we're uh, asking see some of that rain materialize. Tom, uh, June 1st is the official start of the hurricane season, and what does this season look like? Right now, we're looking at a season that's going to be relatively normal in terms of the number of named storms. We should have somewhere between 12 and 17 named storms. We may see somewhere between five and nine hurricanes across the Atlantic Basin. Not a super quiet season, but not an incredibly active one either. Yes, Tom, and the National Hurricane Center is also predicting one to four major hurricanes. But nevertheless, prediction is that this is going to be a near normal year uh, hurricane-wise. Why is that? Good point. Anywhere from one to four major hurricanes, it kind of remains to be seen exactly where all those storms are going to set up and whether any of them affect the Gulf Coast states. On the global scale, we have an El Nino pattern that's setting up across the Atlantic Basin. That normally acts to suppress tropical activity in the Atlantic. However, in this particular year, we have sea surface temperatures that are well above normal. So we have plenty of nice warm water out there and that's a prime ingredient for enhancing tropical activity in the Atlantic. So between the two, it's going to wind up being on balance a relatively normal year climatologically for hurricane activity. The Atlantic tropical names are from Arlene to Whitney, and certainly we don't want to get anywhere close to Whitney. Well, let's cross our fingers that we don't. It only takes one, as we well know, to make for a bad season here in the state of Texas. Everyone needs to have a plan. If you live in the coastal regions, you need to have a tropical safety plan in place to, to know what to do if a, a storm threatens your area. That is Tom Bradshaw. He's a meteorologist uh, at the National Weather Service in Fort Worth. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A few of the state's chronic wasting disease zones will be made smaller in the coming months. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll explain why coming up on Texas Ag Today. And moon blindness is reported to affect up to 10% of horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? I just want to stay informed while I'm on the go. News on the radio, it's nice because it's just a quick snippet and I don't have to go searching for it or grab a paper. I listen to radio because anywhere that I'm going, I'm listening to music or I'm listening to a talk show or I'm just trying to stay up on current events. I always turn into the radio to see if I need to take shelter or where it's hitting to see what I need to be preparing for. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture. 
on Texas Ag Today. Moon blindness is reported to affect up to 10% of horses worldwide. Dr. Bob Judd has more. An equine recurrent uveitis, or ERU, is characterized by multiple intermittent bouts of inflammation followed by periods of no inflammation. And this is why the disease was previously called moon blindness, as people thought it caused symptoms only when the moon was in a certain stage. Obviously, this was not the case, but ERU is the most common cause of blindness in horses. The disease is believed to be an immune-mediated disease as the body's own immune system attacks structures inside the eye, causing inflammation. Another cause may be the bacteria Leptospira, which although can cause systemic disease in horses, it is generally not the bacteria that causes the eye disease, but the antibody response to the leptospiral antigens that are inside the eye. Studies report 30 to 70 percent of the cases of ERU had leptospira antigens present in the eye, so it is not clear how involved this bacteria is with the cause of the disease. Neither vaccination or treatment of the bacterial disease seems to help to prevent the disease. There's also a genetic predisposition for ERU, as Appaloosas are eight times more likely to develop the disease and almost four times more likely to become blind due to the disease compared to other breeds. Appaloosas are bred for the leopard complex spotting locus, or LP, and most apps have either one or two copies of the gene. Horses with two copies of the gene are more likely to develop ERU. Symptoms of the disease include squinting of the affected eye, shying away from bright light, redness of the tissues around the eyeball, constricted pupil, cataracts, corneal edema, and congestion. Join me next time for treatment of this difficult disease. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A few of the state's chronic wasting disease zones will become smaller in the coming months. Jessica Domel tells why in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission recently approved proposed changes to how the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department establishes chronic wasting disease zones following the detection of the fatal neurological deer disease in a deer breeding facility. Dr. J. Hunter Reed, veterinarian for TPWD's Wildlife Division, explained the proposal to the commission prior to their approval. First, we would establish a quarantine administered by THC that would be established around the infected property. Then a surveillance zone will be established two miles from the perimeter of the infected premise. Hunters who harvest deer on any property that is partially or fully in a CWD zone must have their deer or other CWD susceptible species tested for the disease before leaving the zone. There are also carcass movement restrictions in CWD zones. The surveillance zone would remain in place until certain conditions are met for the zone to be removed. The first being the infected breeding facility must be depopulated or the quarantine administered by THC must be lifted. Second, a minimum of three hunting seasons must have passed since the date of depopulation and quarantine being lifted. Three, area sampling must be completed to satisfy a 95% detection probability goal. And four, area sampling will be distributed across the zone. Current CWD surveillance zones that were put in place due to CWD detection in a deer breeding facility will be adjusted to comply with the new protocol. In Duval County, that means a 97% reduction in affected landowners. The commission also recently approved the creation of several new CWD zones. We'll have more on that on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. 
Cattle prices keep on climbing, but the corn market moved lower on Monday. We'll check out all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? I typically listen here at work from my desk on my way to work in the morning. When we wake up, it goes on the radio. I can hear a song and be instantly transported back to a time in my life that I enjoy remembering. I think that's what I like listening to radio for is just to stay informed on whether it's news, sports, new music, anything. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was another good day for the cattle market to kick off the trading week. After all of that very positive action we saw last week, the follow-through on Monday was to continue the trek higher. We finished slightly higher on both live and feeder cattle, some support coming from a drop in the corn market Monday. June live cattle up 72 cents, 177.15. August up 37, 173.27, with October live cattle up 32 cents, 176.32. Same thing on the feeder market. August feeder cattle up 70, 242.60. September feeders up 62 at 245.62. The October up 65 at 247.65 cash-fed cattle market all quiet on Monday. Of course, last week we set record high price for our area here in Texas. We topped out at 180. That is nine bucks higher compared to the previous week. Big jump in boxed beef prices on Monday. Choice up 376, 313.69. Select up 516, 296.09. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Jody Fry, producers in Cargyle, sold cattle in San Angelo Thursday. Jody, how did the sale go? Numbers are still light, 600 hit. Uh, kind of followed suit with going on the state. Uh, everybody's kind of short on numbers, but you, you just uh, ask for a better market. These kids in the Netherlands continue to sell steady to higher, extremely good demand, very active slaughter bulls, another 2 to $4 higher. A nice offer, baby tooth mouth pairs today, sold steady to slightly higher. Better quality steers, four to 600 pounds from 190, all the way up to a high of near 290, mostly 205 to 235. Six to 800 pound steers from 160, all the way up to a high of 245, mostly 185 to 215. Heifer calves, better quality heifer calves, four to 600 pounds, 170 to a high of 245, mostly 195 to 225. Slaughter cows, average to high yielding from 77 to 97, did have several of the highest yielding slaughter cows from 98 to $1.16. Thinner or lower yielding type cows from 55 to 75. Slaughter bulls averaged a high yielding 93 to 113. Had some of the highest yielding slaughter bulls from 115 all the way up to a high of 133. Cow-calf pairs averaged a better quality. Had several of those today. Uh, groups of black and black molly faith cows. Baby tooth to solid mouth from 1500 to 2000. The majority of them traded from 1750 to 1950. Well, what do you know for next week? Well, I guess we're not going to buck the trend. Uh, after Memorial Day weekend, after rain, still had over 6,000 
cows and sheep and goats. So uh, weather permitting, uh, we've got four more sales before the 4th of July. We'll be closed there a week uh, in that July the 4th vacation period. Uh, but look for big sheep and goat sales to continue. Cattle numbers uh, probably staying somewhere in this range of six to 700 head. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Jody Fry. You bet. My office number is 325-653-3371. Mobile phone 234-7895. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble. We've been with Jody Fry from Producers and Cargyle. You're listening to Walk in the Pens, Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs finished lower on Monday. June hogs down a buck 40, 85.32. The July down 50 cents, 84.15. Class 3 milk, it was lower as well. June milk dropped 11 cents, 15.18, 100 weight. July milk down 15 at 15.99 a hundred. The cotton market drifted lower in Monday's trade. Traders looking forward to several reports this week that could affect the cotton market. We got the USDA crop progress report out Monday afternoon. Thursday morning will be the export sales report. And then on Friday, USDA issues its June WASDE report. July cotton dropped 126 points, 84.79. October down 40, 82.42. The December down 43 at 81.42. Corn market lower, as we mentioned. Now, last week, the corn market climbed higher on continued concerns over dry weather in the Midwest. It looks like on Monday, the market took a bit of a breather and pulled back some, with July corn dropping 11 and a half, 597 and a half. September corn down five and a quarter, 5.30 and a quarter, with December corn down four and a quarter, 5.37 a bushel. Both hard and soft wheat moved higher in Monday's trade. July Kansas City wheat up 10 cents, 8.22 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat up a nickel at 6.24 a bushel. In the energy markets, July natural gas up seven cents Monday, 2.24. July West Texas crude up 29 at 72.03 a barrel. The financial markets were lower Monday afternoon. The Dow down 168 points, 33,594. The Nasdaq down 7, 13,232. With the S&P down 7, 4,275. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope you'll join us next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.